0: Welcome back to another episode of Auntie Please, where we are everything we want to be, nothing you want us to be, and so much more. I'm Shia, and with me I have...
1: Lama! And we're back with another episode of Chitty Chats, Woo! baby! And today, <laughs> we have Davina Debrajan and Aresa Jumaima from Women for Refugees.
0: So Women for Refugees is an NGO that works with refugee women, but we'll leave it to the founders to tell us more about the work that they do.
1: We thought we'd start with a rapid fire question round, just to get comfy. So it's very simple guys, um, I'll ask you a series of questions and you just respond with your like reflex answer okay, it's like nothing very stressful. Um, I'm going to make the chaotic one go first, so Arisa you're going to go first and then Divina <laughs>
0: will <would> go. <laughs> okay? So Divina will have a bit more time yeah. to like think about it technically, you can but process. But try i why I to make it. it faster that you don't have time to think. <laughs>
1: All right. So, first question is, tea or masala tea?
2: <laughs> masala tea for sure. Easy. Masala tea. Right. Nice.
1: Ipo chicken rice or banana leaf? Banana leaf. Ipo chicken rice. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Dim sum or sushi? Sushi. Sushi. <laughs> <laughs> um roti canai or nasi loma? Nasilama.
3: Nasi Lama,
2: Nasi yeah. Nice.
1: How many languages do you speak and what are they?
2: Fluently two. Bahasa and English. I'm not gonna mention the other two. Uh three. English,
3: Bahasa and Gibberish. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. There'll be a riddles here and there. Love that.
1: We love that. Um, Would you rather never get angry or never be envious?
2: Never be envious.
3: Never be envious, yeah. That's a
2: skill. Three things you would bring with you during an apocalypse. My phone, my cat, and a sword. (laughs) Cat, I love that. (laughs) Um,
3: Some books, my earphones to drown out Arisa, and my cat.
2: (laughs) You know you can't survive without me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Would you rather be a leader of a cult or a member of a cult?
2: Leader for sure. Leader of a cult. Follow.
1: <laughs> These guys are not about being manipulated. They're yeah. like, let's do the manipulating. <laughs> we know what we want. <laughs> Does falling in love at first sight exist? Definitely. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speak every language or accurately predict the future? Definitely uh the future. Predict the future. Predict
3: the future. Yeah.
1: Mm, I, I could never. I could never. It's too much pressure. You give, me, you give me too much
3: anxiety. Yeah, give
1: too much pressure. <laughs> okay, last one. Would you rather know the uncomfortable truth of the world or believe in a comfortable lie? The uncomfortable truth.
3: The uncomfortable truth, unfortunately.
1: Fair enough. Hmm. I haven't, I don't think we've had anyone so far say that they would rather believe in a comfortable lie. Yeah. Yet.
2: <laughs> it's a given. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so we're gonna get into the real questions now. So, first off, tell us a bit about yourself, your educational background, and like what your interests are. You
2: Wanna go first? Okay. Yeah, I'll go first. Yeah, whoever wants to go uh, first. My name is Erissa Jemima. I have a diploma in mass communications. Currently, I'm studying, uh, I'm taking my degree in international relations and law. Um, Your interests. <laughs> oh, my interests. Well, let's be, let's stick to the context. I love working with refugees and anything on activism, youth empowerment. And I like my friends. That, that's what I'm interested in, people, <laughs> right. and, ma- and magic. <laughs> um,
3: yeah, so my name is Davina Devarajan. I have a uh, degree in law. I did the UOL LLB program, and right now I work uh, mm-hmm. with Undi18 as a program associate. Um, so I guess a lot of my background ha- uh, has a lot to do with digital campaigning and, and activism, and a little bit of law, obviously. I have an interest in working with uh, marginalized communities as well as uh, youth empowerment.
1: Nice. Nice, nice. I like that little additional comment about magic
2: there. I heard that. I did not not hear that.
3: (laughs) She's a Hufflepuff if you're wondering.
2: I'm a Slytherin. Can you just put that in? (laughs) I'm a Slytherin at heart. I think I
0: was a Slytherin too. I'm a basic bitch, so <laughs> I'm a Gryffindor. <laughs> I'm a Gryffindor, so listen.
3: There's nothing basic about a Gryffindor. Let's
0: not go there. You're basic. You're basic. Instagram. Kind watch. of basic. But like you know, I'm owning it. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it. It's all right. It's fine. Um. <laughs>
1: so where did um, your both of yours, I suppose, passions for refugee issues start and. At what point did you decide you wanted to do something about it?
2: I think me and Dav, um, our friendship really grew because we were able to have these uh, conversations, um, global conversations. So it, it could be ranging from environment, human rights. And it sl- slowly started going into the refugee situation because we started to analyse what was going on um, in our own country. Uh, we're very much passionate about what was going on um, outside, beyond the borders. Um, but when we started to look in, uh, we started to address the most vulnerable communities. And together, we noticed that uh, the refugee population was the most vulnerable. And that's where we decided to um, mm. put most of our work in. Mm. So, when did all of this start for you guys?
3: Um, so, mm-hmm. I around August, September, when we were visiting the community that we currently work with, um, one of the mm. community leaders actually approached us and and specifically mentioned that he had a lot of women there who were who were idle and didn't really have much to do because they weren't they weren't exposed to enough opportunity. So he asked us, he's like, "Can you guys come in and, and run a a program for the women?" And and really just because we we've been talking about doing something for the longest time, we specifically talked talked about doing a, a program with refugees in January. And so when he approached us, we were like, mm. you know what, time to time to just do something about it. Enough talking oh, yeah. about it and then
0: and then wfr was was born yeah yeah nice yeah love that um sweet so this was all in 2020 so just last year okay nice so everything kind of just like you guys just like basically threw yourself in the deep end and yeah and you just didn't have a choice you just gotta like follow through from then on
3: yeah a lot of learning curves and just figuring it out as we go
0: yeah yes yeah awesome i've yeah, i feel like with exactly. um with auntie please it's kind of like also what happened like i pitched it to lama and then like <laughs> within two days we were like recording and then like pop up pop, pop, everything just happened so quickly i love it um yeah yeah
2: yeah really,
0: yeah it's a fun it's a very fun and like you said like, all this learning um curves and whatnot um wait i also wanted to ask how do you guys know each other like do you guys know each other from school
2: well, <laughs> we know each other through Instagram first, and then we connected cool. um, through um, an event that promoted environmental activism and environmental yeah. policies. So we met yeah. there, and then slowly yeah. we started getting In more
3: involved. I- yeah. In that same week, we went to we went to multiple similar things. It was it was the environmental uh, workshop yeah. and it was weightlifting MYD. class in the same week. So I saw her face too many <laughs> times at that point. It was great. It was great. I knew she... I knew she was the one. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's
3: so cute, though. Oh my god, I love, that. <laughs> I
0: love that. Wait, when when did that happen? Like what year? Like how long have you all have you all That's, been friends for? Okay, that was
2: before GM. So
3: yeah. 18, I think. Pushing, yeah, yeah. exactly. Too long. Nice. Too long. Too long. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Any regrets? You can but, uh, look at the love in her eyes.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Moving her. on. <laughs> um, so, what is Women for Refugees? What are your aims? What are your goals? What do you guys do?
2: Mm. In a nutshell, Women for Refugees is an organization that. Um, specifically works with women from marginalized communities. Right now, we're working with refugees, um, and we are looking to equip them with whatever tools, um, whatever equipment, whatever skills that they need to pursue a more sustainable um, approach to their lifestyle. So economically, we provide them skills that could possibly help them engage more in uh, business initiatives so they can profit and find a sustainable uh, income that, that could help them with their families. Mm, Daph, do you want to...
3: Yeah, I think I think you summed it up. I think we try to focus very much on um, uh, financial literacy and equip them with business skills and hopefully also empowering them to their the process of them learning all of these skills and then having an avenue to apply them. Yeah, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. on the... Like, mm-hmm. we... we we definitely are looking towards um, creating a community of uh, refugees, women refugees who have businesses, who um, are starting up their own initiatives where they can sustain themselves economically. And what we, what we, what we can see is when the women in a community are given the opportunities and the skills to invest in themselves, when we invest in them as stakeholders, we see a, an amazing trickle-down effect from their family, from their community. Because when women are, are not empowered and are taken advantage of in their own society and are just overlooked in general, um, there have there are so many issues that come about. You can say domestic abuse um, is, is one of the reasons that uh, is one of the factors that that can that can come up into a conversation when we do talk about these issues. Um but yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that I think that's why we, we 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 wanted to push um on women specifically. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay, I feel like that kind of answers our. Literally, I was like damn,
1: <laughs> she knew what was coming next. <laughs> I'm a psychic. I'm a psychic. Psychic. Bro, she's magic. She's literally magic.
2: <laughs> Please cut this out.
1: (laughs) No, it's it's staying in. No way. (laughs) Okay, so I have to ask what type of like, what are the sort of tangible skills that um, are thought or workshopped towards these women? And how does that, um, like, do you have any women that have kind of pursued different projects of their own? Um, Yeah, I'd love to hear if you've got any like stories or anything like that.
3: So, right now, how we structure the program is, uh, we call it the Refugee Women Entrepreneurship Program, so RWET, and we structure it in three different phases. So, the phase one initially teaches them, um, basic skills. So, first, literacy, because they need to be equipped with, um, a certain amount of literacy skills so that if they, if they were to go to, um, government institutions like hospitals and police stations, they need to know how to, to, to speak for themselves and not be reliant. I think one of the core values that we practice the most in WFR is that we, we do as much as we can to never look at this as a charity case we are investing in these women just as much as they are investing in us, which is why we call them our stakeholders. And so what we want to do is that we want to make them as self-sufficient as possible, which means as little reliance on outside help as possible Um, is where we want it to, is the aim that we want to get them to. So for example, literacy skills is the first step because it, Means that they're no longer reliant on locals to follow them to the hospital, to fi- fill out forms for them. The second phase mm. is um, financial building and, and um, business initiatives. And this is where we teach them basic things first, which is how do you calculate profit? How do you look at marketing certain projects, certain items? Uh, What are the skills that they would need? Which is, if you're going to produce materials, what are the materials you need? How do you calculate costs? How do you calculate what is the profit after that that you can make? How do you approach customers? Um, And then we, we teach them all these skills through workshops as well as our programs. And after that, in phase three is where we help them implement these things through business initiatives. So we're working with our first batch of women, which means that they're now currently moving from phase one into phase two. Um, and yeah. we're hoping that by July this year, we can get them into phase three where they're now actually practicing these things through a business initiative of their own. But if you're looking for stories about how they are kind of benefiting from these classes, I would say that the leadership portion and the empowerment portion is what we've seen the most because these women have now taken up the initiative to be... Um, Leaders in their communities, where they're the ones coming to us and saying, "These families need this this much of uh, food packages." For example, let's organize something. Let's do something. The kids here need this this particular initiative. How can we run that? So they they've been more empowered in that sense based on on these things, and now they're they're already looking forward to okay, how can we turn all of our skills? Because they they've even come up to us and be like, "I can cook this. I can make sambal. I can do this. How can we turn this into a business?" So they're already Mm -hmm. excited and they're already looking forward to it. They're just right now in the process of uh, gaining the skills.
2: Yeah, they, So mm. th- we have like uh, a number of women who already have started their little business initiatives. So some of them can cook, some of them can um, sell. One of them is selling baby clothes, if I'm not mistaken. So we're just mm. tapping into what they already have right now, you know. And they're 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 more than excited um, to get on a program that looks um, that that looks towards. Their sustainable um, a sustainable profit for them for themselves, um, and it goes back to Dav's point on um, the whole thing of, about our project not not push, not being pushed as a charity case. Um, a lot of them it's a lot of them don't want to be looked at that you know a lot of them don't want to be taken into that context. Um, so pushing the RWEP program was definitely um, much more inviting on their side.
3: Yeah, And even for the women who might not necessarily have the skills that they want to capitalize on yet, part of what we want to introduce is as new skills for them to learn. So things like crochet, um, how to make soaps, how to make candles, so that they can sit down and, and be involved even if they feel like they don't have the skills already.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, love yeah. I love that. I love that. I love how it's amazing. like not wanting to be a charity case. Because I feel like a lot of the times it can be very tokenistic and also really dehumanizing for whoever is part of that. And yeah. Um, yeah, I I love that that's what you guys stand for.
0: Yeah, and like when you talk about like sustainable change, right? Sustainable impact, like what you're really doing, like you're empowering them to empower themselves, yeah. for them to take ownership and have a sense of autonomy over their own mm. lives. You know, so really like they are helping themselves. You guys are merely just providing the tools for them to start that journey. Mm. So I feel like that's great. when you When people talk about like real change, I feel like this is what it looks like. Um, And it's amazing that you guys are doing that, and especially here in Malaysia. So my next question for you guys is, what would you say are the biggest barriers faced by the refugee population in Malaysia, and particularly women refugees and their children?
2: So I think when we look um, at the refugee situation, when we look at at a, a legal perspective, you know, the main issue comes from the inability for the Malaysian government to recognize, um, their rights and their status. So when, when you're not recognized by the local legal framework, that already, like, sets up, um, a bunch of problems for you. Um, for example, your inability to gain, to, to access work or your inability to access, um, medical services, your, um, your inability for your kids to access, um, education. Um and, and so just just the whole status alone was um is the most common thing that um organisations and people on on this side of the argument is commonly fighting for, you know, because it, it just ticks out just a, a bunch of things. Um so I think the problems the the biggest problem that comes with um with uh, for a refugee the, the biggest problem that comes for a refugee is is um is the status, uh the, the legal status um of them being here.
3: Yeah, and, and I think to build on a little bit more um, is that not only now do we not have a legal framework for them to operate within, but specifically if you're looking at um, gender-based problems, um, mm. in, in informal sectors like construction and everything, most of the time you'll see that uh, the male refugees get, get hired. And, and don't get me wrong, they're obviously exploited, um, but there is, there is room for them to make income based on these kind of hard labor. Women refugees often don't. So it's harder for them to um, make any sort of financial income. And this then affects their status at home because they don't have liberty. They don't have freedom to make choices. And, and it comes when comes down to um, culturally, where do they come from? What is the family role within their houses? We face this even as locals, you know, sometimes mm. we see that uh, women are not empowered enough to mm. Um, mm. be self-sustaining, to stand on their own feet. So I guess if you're talking in particular to women refugees obviously they face the same problems as, as as all women face so that's an added um that's an added issue on top of the fact that they don't have any legal recognition in this country nor do they have um as much liberty to do anything while they're here
2: yeah exactly and if i can add um aid aid towards refugees or marginalized communities uh, globally is almost always focused on either the economic opportunity or the children. Um, so women are almost always taken out of the context. Um, if they are given aid, it's, it's aid from a general perspective. Okay. Um, we're giving you medical aid. We're giving you the stuff that you need to survive. Um, but investing in the women as, um, legit stakeholders is, is a, a very uncommon thing, uh, for organizations to pursue simply because it's logistically and technically very, Demanding and tiresome, you know, just to think of a framework. Um, the UNHCR even pushed one, but it, it was, it's, it's not directly, um, targeted towards women. And there's, uh, and that becomes a problem because when we put a solution towards, uh, when we propose a solution, and if it's not, and if it's not catered towards that specific gender, towards that specific race, towards that, specific, towards that specific ethnicity, it becomes, it becomes ineffective. So I think that's, it. Yeah
0: hmm I have I have a question about um the RWEP, right? If yeah. I got that right. So that's yeah. like the framework that you guys use. How did you guys come up with that and what was the like foundation to that?
3: I think because yeah. initially, um initially the question was that they they when they specified what they wanted to learn, it was literacy skills. And then mm. when uh, the more we spoke to them, we realized that they also wanted an opportunity to to make money. So when we're sitting down and we talking and we were talking and trying to decide okay, what is the best framework to, to go about this, realize um they need to be they need to be comfortable with certain terminology, they need to be comfortable with the way a syllabus is based, hence why mm. literacy was the first thing we would push. Because this is this is our way to introduce to them into a system that they will be going through for the next three to four months, which is which is the duration of RWEP itself and then uh, business mm. skills we realized that it would be great for us to develop materials and then teach them but it'll be better to get outside influence to come in and run the workshops because then it, it, it exposes them to what else is happening out there it exposes yeah. them to a lot more expertise and it gives them an avenue to ask the questions that they want to ask to the people directly as well as form connections so that if they wanted to pursue certain um, opportunities they could and then phase three was our way of it's more like a mentorship a business mentorship so while they're trying to run their initiatives and run their businesses they will need coaching to kind of direct them in the right direction like oh you could do this better or oh, you can uh, implement something like this to manage your finance better so it's kind of our way to keep them on track so that at the very least once they graduate for this program they're entirely self-sufficient and they don't need to rely on somebody else to help them make their business grow because they already know the basics and they're already running it so they have confidence in themselves so that's how yeah. we structured it so that it is as encompassing as possible and they feel like they're constantly guided throughout the whole process and they're not left to their own devices at any point.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The RWEP was definitely, definitely is definitely the biggest um project that we're trying to invest in simply because we want to yes. we want to identify WFR as um, an organization that um focuses more on the economic a narrative of refugees um, a lot of the times that that portion that massive portion is taken out because you're so focused on the humanitarian perspective and that and that tunes out an entire crowd of people who genuinely don't um, align with those kind of values so we're just trying to when we when we push out the economic value of a refugee suddenly you're going to tap into these um, the other audiences um, that genuinely just uh, just tune out when a refugee when the conversations on a refugee come up Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Um, have you, based on working with um, this refugee population, have you sort of, not experienced, but can you tell us about stigma that's attached to them and like the harmful stereotypes that, you know, as Malaysians we perpetuate as well and, you know, outside Malaysia as well. And is that something that yeah. they face on a regular?
2: Yeah. I think just on the issue of medical access, access to uh, medical services, and this is something that me and Dad have personally experienced because we always take the refugees uh, to the hospitals. There, there needs to be the fact that there needs to be a local person to be there and to sign paperwork for them because we can't assure that the the people on the hospital side can are going to follow up and do what they need to do to get this person the medical services that they need. Um, so uh, uh, the discrimination that comes with um, I- within the government the government um, sectors um, are very, very much real, and it's dangerous because it, it it's it's borderline almost life and death situation. What if a refugee needs medical services and they are discriminated against and hen- and hence and hence the process of getting that medical aid. Is uh, stunted. It's it's not uh, you know it, it discourages them from going to get the services that they need. So that's just on, on on the medical on the medical perspective. But I think when, if I if I may add, <laughs> um, when we do talk about when we do talk about the uh, the discrimination that refugees face, um, me and Dav and uh, we we definitely try to address the other side. So doctors and nurses who work within. Government hospitals and deal with refugee patient, patients. Patients um, oftentimes are are discriminate against refugees simply because they've had like decades worth of um, of experiences where they where a refugee is unable to pay the bill and it just makes their work harder. You know, so it's it's an internal frustration and that builds into a stereotype that refugees refugee is hard to deal with that a refugee is um, difficult um, and and it just goes back to the system uh, and a system that a government system a local system that is unable to accommodate a foreign a foreign people and hence makes everyone's everyone else's job um, harder so the discrimination that um, refugees face in government sectors are very much valid on both sides you know they have the right to be frustrated and just as a refugee has the right to not be to not be discriminated um but that's just on the medical sector um dav do you have any
3: other i think yeah but no but i think in general also that that uh, the point that you bring right that there's always two sides to this story and mm. and like Arisa says with when you have a, a lack of legislation and a lack of framework to operate within right it creates so much of conflict. It creates this whole narrative that it's us versus them. And I think what we've mm. seen the most and, and the easiest to empathize with is that if you are a Malaysian feeling like a second-class citizen, it is very hard for you to say, yeah, let's give them right. Because now you start to feel that you you lose your opportunities uh, to peace, to, to safety and to uh, financial stability oftentimes. This is the narrative that will be pushed out. But when you start to have a legal framework and you start to show that look there there is no you versus them, the opportunities are now being put into a, a, a structure that you can see makes sense for economically for both you and them. So for example, let's take into account um jobs, right? Oftentimes you hear the narrative they're coming here and they're and they're taking our jobs yeah. for migrant workers or or even refugees who are uh, employed illegally, and then you mm-hmm. get frustrated. But the thing is. When you have a framework and you start saying, okay, uh, they are allowed to be here on this specific, um, on this specific title, they're, they're open to, to, uh, labor opportunities. You are not allowed to discriminate in terms of pay. Now, employers mm. cannot employ, um, em- migrants or refugees on the basis that the pay is going to be lower and you cannot mm. discriminate against locals and, and refugees. So when you don't have a system, it's easy for, for everyone to kind of stereotype this community for them to say specific names Mm. to get upset and sometimes it's valid because Mm. especially now in times of covid you know everyone's going through a hard time so it's so easy for there to be conflict between these communities but the truth is it doesn't need to be so i think when whenever we sit down and talk about these things that's something we've always found that it's it's not it's not um, anybody's fault it's the fact that there is a lack of framework and i think also sometimes when you're trying for government to impl- implement change like this, they obviously need the buy-in from the community and the locals. Yeah. And I guess part of what we want to yeah. do is to, to educate and to um, show the locals why a framework like this is actually also beneficial, not just to the refugees, but to them. And I think mm. once we can yeah. make that uh, as evident as possible, it becomes a little bit more easier to lobby for there to be an actual framework so that the government makes actual change.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Damn. And I guess like... Also, like, because I'm just, like, asking myself this question as well, and... I'm thinking about, like, all the different stigmas and all the different um things that people have said, like, you know, listening to, like, all these, like, uncles and aunties and, like, older people in general. Like, I guess it's also, like, this unknown of, like, you know, who you are, like, where are you even from, like, what was your country like, like, why was it so bad, like, you know, all these, like, preconceived notions about things that you just have no knowledge on, you know, and, like, the worst part is, like, no one takes an interest or, like, no one makes the effort to like get to know these stories and like know what the reality of it is because if you did then you would very easily empathize and if you don't then I guess you're just heartless but you know and it's it's sad to see and and another thing that I feel like people always complain about is like language and like language barriers so I'm quite curious to how you guys accommodate for that and how do you
2: guys um work around that with like language like is that a, has that been a problem for you guys? For the most part it hasn't been because Bahasa is actually one of the most easiest one of the more easier languages to learn. So a lot Mm -hmm. of the refugees that we work with, um, a lot of the refugees that we work with can speak Bahasa to an extent. Mm -hmm. And if, if there if there requires um a translator, we have connections to community leaders and um other community, other people from the community that can translate what we need to say. But language, if in, if uh, we have no access to that, if we have no access to a translator or a community leader, and if that person say can't speak the language, then, la- uh, then, then it, it will definitely be a, a massive barrier. I think just. I'm, just, I'm going to bring it up again, but on the medical part, e- e- even, mm. I've, I've heard stories. I, I have friends who are doctors and they, they get, they, they get genuinely frustrated because when they're asking the refugee what, um, what is wrong with them? Why are they here? What kind of, um, service do you need? They are unable to answer, even though they may know the language bit by bit, but they just don't know how, if they're put on the spot, what to say and how to say it. So. Okay. Uh, on on language from their side, yes, it will be a it's it's a massive barrier. But on language from our side, uh, there is a gap between understanding um, what kind of language needs to be used and how to put it into context. When we are talking about a Rohingya, or when we we're talking with a Rohingya, when we were talking with a Palestinian, when we were talking with someone from um, uh, a Chin refugee, so uh, the the gap between understanding. Um, the background of that person will translate into our inability inability to use the correct language. And then, you know, miscommunication and all of those things that come with using wrong language or using inaccurate language. So that's, yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm just like picturing it. Imagine being in a medical crisis, in pain or like struggling on the inside and you can't even like communicate that and like everyone's just getting frustrated at each other. Yeah, yeah like, 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, why should we, as Malaysians, invest in refugees?
3: So I think, um, obviously there, there are multiple reasons that, that we believe in, and human rights is, is one of the biggest ones. But I think what mm-hmm. we found is that we no longer want to preach to the choir, to the people who already agree that yeah, basic human rights um, cannot be questioned. But on the, mm-hmm. o- on the other side, if somebody has a, has a hard time trying to figure out, okay, why should we invest in the refugee crisis? The narrative we push is the economic one. Mm-hmm. Because when you sit down and, and economically empower them through education and through uh, work, then you not only elevate their communities, you also elevate um, local communities as well. So what does this look like realistically? For example, right now, a refugee family do not have access to education or cannot be legally employed which affects their household income. So when you sit down and you have a framework and you say that, okay, you can go find a job, it's legal you now increase their household income and when you increase mm. household household income you increase um household ex- household spending when you increase household spending you now increase um the gdp in the economy because now right. everyone is spending more and that affects locals as well they eco- when 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 you when you look at it step by step you actually see that there are a lot of reasons why you should invest in them and ideas has posted an amazing uh, paper on this that actually cites if i'm not mistaken 3 billion yeah. Um, an increase of the GDP alone if you sit down and you um, a- allow uh, the refugee communities to be employed. So l- when you look at it in multiple directions, there there's so many good arguments for why they we should sit down and invest in them because whether or not we want to acknowledge this problem, the fact is they're already here they are already yeah. here and there is no framework to check on on uh, whether or not they are getting the aid that they need or or can they sit down and utilize the skills that they bring from their own country into this country as well if we mm-hmm. if we constantly uh if we constantly use the argument that these racist um bigoted arguments against them if we constantly want to uh turn a blind eye not acknowledge the problem and just complain about it where are we going to get as a country and right now in terms of covid specifically if we're not keeping communities especially marginalized communities and the communities most at risk if we're not keeping them in check if we're not making sure they have what they need this now will affect every other community and then we've seen how this has affected other countries. You know, one, uh, one of the best things that, um, I think, um, New Zealand has done to really uh, dive the core is that they paid a lot of attention to the marginalised communities and they saw what they needed on the ground and that impacted them um, as a country something that we should also do and whether or not we have COVID you know we're always going to have these problems these these minute problems that will come especially in terms of uh, work and education if you sit down and you afford education to refugee children you sit down and, and you, you, you give them the opportunity to study now you afford them the opportunity to get better paying jobs jobs that require skills. When you give them the opportunity to get these kind of jobs, they can make more money. When they make more money, they spend more money. And they spend more money, this affects the economy. So there's always a chain mm. reaction to something like this. Um, I'm, I'm kind of only talking about the economic um, argument that we have because I feel like yeah. there is no more need to sit down and say that basic life needs yeah. to be yeah. respected.
2: 100%. Yeah. And,
0: and people always need that argument to see how it benefits everyone else yes. rather than, like, you're human and you deserve your dignity and yeah. your rights and, like, respect yeah. and everything. Yeah.
3: Unfortunate, I don't, I, I, personally, I think it's unfortunate that that's not enough of a reason. Yeah. Um, But we also realise that we cannot sit down and change people's perceptions just by preaching mm-hmm. to the choir and not addressing their actual concerns.
0: Yeah. And... I guess, like, on that note, like, it's about seeing refugees as contributing members of societies and seeing them yeah. as assets rather than liabilities. Yeah. Yeah, 100%.
2: yeah. I mean, it's it's more expensive. We spend so much money um, by, by not yeah. addressing it, by ignoring yeah. the cause, by just sweeping it under the rug. And the whole reason as to why it's such a big deal right now is because the government has successfully sweeped it under the rug for so long it only took a global pandemic to bring mm. it up to get people to pay attention and suddenly the blame is on them it's always shifting the blame to the local people well whether it be uh, Malaysians or um, refugees you know and and that's that's always the problem with en- with every cause that there is environmental um, issues the re- the refugee migrant issue you know, uh, it's, it's just, it just goes back to the government's inability to put in a framework. There have been so many pursuits by organizations, both locally and internationally, where they present working papers backed with so much data, backed with so much research that, hey, if you push this maybe to a smaller crowd, you would see the benefits economically to the local populace. But there just hasn't been enough efforts. And obviously, much more politics and deep state is involved. Um, so to get to the to get to the root of this, it, there's just so many layers. Yeah, hundred percent.
1: Mm. On the note of um, COVID nineteen and the pandemic, how has COVID nineteen impacted the work that you do, and um, yeah, the lives of the communities that you worked with, and have you seen um, yeah have you seen it change throughout the last year and plus
2: plus now or twenty twenty one to be to be all well, to be uh um pretty honest uh, we started w f r because of the m c o we mm-hmm. saw what what was going on, and we said there is no more time where we can just sit and plan as much as we can. we have to go go out there get on ground and do the best we can and yeah. learn on the ground you know so that was so that was the whole um that was the starting point that was like a realization, a slap back to reality hey, hey, hey. You're needed. Get get, get on ground.
3: Yeah, and I think yeah. especially in terms of, of how we function, so obviously we started our classes um, in person, but we had to pivot very, very quickly to be able to accommodate for these classes and materials being digital. However, we did find that although we could incorporate and make them digital, it lacks that human touch which they need. So it's something that we are still currently working on, like how can we uh, merge these two so that they still feel adequately supported throughout our program. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, but it's nice to say that some of the women still can keep up digitally, but we want to be able to, to run our program so that it can accommodate for all the women and not just those who can function on one platform. Um, so that mm-hmm. was, I think the, the biggest challenge we had is how do we accommodate this digitally? Yeah. Because not only is it a question of how do we turn these materials into online content, but it's also, um, do they have the right do they have the right uh, facilities for something like this internet um working mics working webcams yeah. computers all of these things their phones even so it's something that we're currently trying to navigate through and pivot Uh, constantly because we feel like this is a learning process even for us but I'm kind of proud to be able to say that our team has really well pivoted when this happened instead of having to just shut down classes completely which was our concern in the beginning so it's nice to say that even during MCO Mm. even during this pandemic we can still run it Mm. and
2: just on the note of like just on
0: you go you go (laughs)
2: just on digital literacy alone (laughs) just on digital literacy alone it's such a it's such a it's such a big topic that um we have to address digital literacy in malaysia for example for students for year one for people who are just going into university or people who are just going into high school that's an issue that needs to be tackled and that narrative can't be taken and placed um and applied in uh a refugee community for women, you know, it, it needs a completely new perspective, needs a completely new framework. So WFR, we are currently in the midst of trying to figure out the best way on how to deliver our materials. Um, that is, that is the most convenient for them because it's, it's also an issue where they have to invest in education. And if we make it difficult for them, they're, they're just not going to see it. They're not going to see, okay, what's the point of me investing in it when it's so hard? You know, when the payoff is so little, it's like that.
0: Mm. so i was gonna mm. ask um about the team the people that you work with i just wanted to get like a rough idea of like who they are like are they mostly students are they like friends are they like connections you've made like who are these people who else is behind women for refugees
2: our team is the best and you will be the best forever no our team is amazing <laughs> it's basically yeah. just like branches from our own circles and then they post it yeah. to their friends and they'll be like hey can I help and these aren't people who necessarily have to believe in the refugee cause they just say okay I have a skill and please capitalize mm-hmm. on my skills so that I could put it to good use you know
3: mm-hmm. but yeah we love our yeah. team
2: mm-hmm. yeah
3: so right now it's actually a team of almost 20 um, wow. of us oh. and yeah and, and they're and they're all extremely dedicated which I think was the most heartwarming thing for us to see um, they're segregated into different departments so we have a department that specifically works on actually developing all of the materials that we run with the with the communities we have a department that is specific for another another segment that we have which is called the comfort project so this is the part where we sit down and actually do medical aid and we follow up with checkups for all of our refugee communities we have a specific team who focuses on that we have a specific team for the social media content so they're all coming in with their varieties of skill and they're super dedicated and um, I think the only thing we want to be able to see is I think the the concern that we had for our team was that they all have to work remotely so mm. hopefully in if this pandemic just eventually dies down we can get them to like be a little bit more connected with each other but they're super dedicated even with the fact that they have to work remotely most of the time which is nice.
0: Mm-hmm that's it's yeah. crazy like you guys started september october last year that's like five months and you guys yeah. already have like 20 people yeah
3: that's the, the, actually it was really over it was an overwhelming support actually a lot of yeah. people really wanted to be a part of it which i think which i think made us realize how many youths especially want yeah. to be a part of movements like this they're just looking for an opportunity yeah yes
2: exactly you just have to provide the opportunity provide the convenience yeah. provide don't
3: Don't just...
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. our our youth are amazing, bro. Like, in general, you know, you just give them the tools and they'll they'll tap into it. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like we're
0: always so... We're just itching for change. We're itching to do some good. We're itching to make a difference, you know? And Mm. I guess that's the only thing that's keeping me hopeful, like, in general, like, about anything (laughs) and everything, about, like, every social issue. Like, I just have so much faith in, like, the youth and us and the generations to come, that's the only reason yeah. I'm, like, okay with life, I think. Not not spiraling into an existential crisis every five minutes. <laughs> I'm yes. still hopeful. A lot of people aren't as hopeful, I feel, but mm-hmm. I'm still quite hopeful. Um, yeah. And that's yeah. something to look forward to. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah. So for those who are interested in knowing more and, like, looking to get more involved, where can they go? How can they help? Um, what platforms are you guys on? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, so we're, we're currently almost... on Instagram and Twitter.
3: Yeah, so we so we're basically on Instagram, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn if people want to get involved. Yeah, if people do want to get involved, we have a link tree on our Instagram with the volunteer with us form. Um so yeah. it's super easy to get in touch with us really.
2: Yeah. And sometimes you can just message us. Like just mm. you just message us and be like, "Hey, I know how to I know how to manage projects or hey, I know how to write articles." Give us what you, what, what can you provide and let us see how we can capitalize on that. Because every single industry and skill can be, you know, shifted towards the paradigm of service. Anything, literally. So mm. uh, approach us. We will say we will be nice. Um, but yeah. On Instagram mostly like is most Slide into their DM. Slide into their DM. We're in for refugee.
0: <laughs> <laughs> And I also wanted to ask, um, you guys were mentioning earlier about all these, like, businesses that the refugee women run. Also, if you could provide us, um, with a list of all these various businesses, we would love to advertise them as well. Um, and, cause I want to know where I can go to, like, purchase or, like, support or, like, you know, see what they yeah. sell in.
3: Yeah, so I think... So most, of the, so most of the women right now are beginning, are beginning their, their own initiatives. But I think what we can do is definitely compile it. Especially over the next... Um, maybe the next few months, more and more initiatives will be coming out from the women as well. So we will com- we'll, mm-hmm. we'll find a way to compile it so that everyone can keep track. And, and for, me, for you guys also.
0: Yes, please yeah. do.
3: Please
1: yeah. Do. If you guys had a message to share with the world... I know that's a very large audience, but you can make it smaller hmm. if you want to. But yeah, <laughs> if you had a message to share, um, yeah, what would it be?
2: I think in a nutshell, um, we definitely like to see more people invest in the economic narrative of refugees, the economic value of a refugee. Um, invest in that narrative and pursue that narrative and use that narrative as much as you don't believe the main human humanitarian narrative but yeah, in a nutshell, please invest in the economic narrative. It benefits everyone.
3: Yeah, I think, um, I think mine would be a little bit more specific. Which is my my if I had to if I needed to, to say a message, it would be specifically to our government, which is not to capitalize on the divide in our society. Um, and time for them to start addressing major problems that affect all of us as a whole. And, and one of it is the refugee crisis. As much as I think most of us aren't of, aff- are, are outside the KL and PJ bubble, most of us aren't afforded the opportunity to learn about how this refugee uh, crisis actually affects us and what are the mm-hmm. prominent steps that can be implemented. The government knows. And I think it is yeah. now. They are, it's their responsibility to start educating us and start implementing the kind of structures that is necessary for the country as a whole as opposed to capitalizing on the divide that they see in our communities which I tend to think mm. happens more often than not more often than it should even Um. Yeah. so that would be my message specifically that change needs to happen immediately and uh, enough with these politics enough with the games uh, do what is necessary for the people
1: yeah Love that mic drop, Obama's art. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Wait, who? Obama? Do you not know when he does controversial that thing?
3: When he just that? Thing? I love it. oh, yeah. Am I dreaming
1: it? I swear He's he did it. He's my spirit
3: animal. That that
1: Jiff <laughs> is my spirit animal.
0: <laughs> the mic drop. Motion. Just the GIF itself. Yes. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for speaking to us. Both of you, like we truly appreciate the time and effort you guys are taking to be with us.
3: Yeah, yeah. You guys are so.
1: You guys are are so smart, so brilliant. I feel like I've learned so much (laughs) about the refugee. I love how she said it a bit
3: surprised though. Should
1: I be
2: concerned? (laughs) You guys (laughs) are smart. No! Okay,
1: dude, I I spend most of my days in, in front of a computer doing admin shit. Like, anything that is remotely interesting surprises me. I'm like, oh, there's more to life than my emails on Outlook. Okay. No, I'm not surprised. As in, I just love it. Like, I'm very... Like, I love listening to smart women, especially when they're talking about their shit. And they're very, like... Passionate about what they do, and they're just so knowledgeable. And I love learning from people. Um, so yeah, this was
2: like. And you guys was... are
0: so young. I mean, like we're all the same age. I think How we're all in like in like, no, our early twenties.
2: Are
3: we? Oh, yeah, How old 20s. are we? Okay.
2: Yeah, right. How old are we? <laughs> <clears throat> right. Sorry,
3: played it safe. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, thank <sighs> you, thank you for honestly giving us the the platform to speak about these things. Uh, this yeah.
2: Exactly. We love we love talking to um, we love talking about WFR. We won't shut up about it, so might as well someone listen to it. <laughs> yeah.
1: I love that. Um. I love that.
2: All right, <laughs> so that
1: wraps it up for us today, guys. Um, don't forget, you can find Women for Refugees WFR at Women for Refugees on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And me being an MC All these details will also be in the show notes um, You can follow us At Auntie Please on Instagram Shaya is at ashaya 5 And me is at Natasha J Lama And we'll see you guys next week Bye Bye <laughs>